0: And welcome to Sinful Sarah's Horror Menagerie. I'm your host, Sarah Sin, tackling horror movies, peeling back the layers, and taking a deeper dive into them. Again, on the show, I don't just discuss my love of horror movies. I like to bring in the aspect and perspective of horror and history, how horror movies tend to reflect society's fears. And since I am a psychology major, I like to bring this aspect and perspective in as well and see how the horror movies I'm focusing on reflect psychology and mental health in any way. And as you all know, new month means new theme, with this month's theme being Happy Birthday to Me, Happy Birthday to Clive Barker. So October will be my Clive Barker Appreciation Month. His birthday is the 5th, mine happens to be the 25th. And then my daughter is the day before mine, the 24th, shows she stole the thunder for my birthday. So I will be celebrating Clive Barker this entire month. So we're going to move on to the first movie for the theme of. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to Clive Barker with 1995's Lord of Illusions, directed by Clive Barker, starring Scott Bakula as Harry Demore, Kevin J. O'Connor as Swan, Famike Jansen as Dorothea. Sorry if I butchered that name. Vincent Schiavelli, butchered that one too, as Vinovich. Barry Del Sherman as Butterfield. Sheila Tusi as Jennifer. Joel... Suito as Valentin, Joseph Lattimore as Quade, Susan Trailer as Maureen Prim, and Daniel Von Bargen as Nyx. So for horror in history, I definitely say we got cults. This is a movie that's really about cults manipulating people. They prey on the vulnerable. I think it's also talking about the fear of death and preying on people's fears of dying and promising them things they can't promise. And definitely like trauma, having a dark past, and these dark pasts kind of coming back to haunt us. Uh, psychology mental health, we got manipulation, vulnerability, phobias, fear of death, hallucinations, delusions, paranoia, trauma, deception, illusions, being misleading. And I would definitely throw in some antisocial personality disorder with either psychopathic or sociopathic tendencies, and some fire symbolism. So... Um again, if you follow the show, you know this isn't really how I structure my show, so I obviously have a guest today, and my guest is Chris Bruner. Hopefully, I said this right. He was on the show when we covered the people under the stairs. So, as you all know, just uh introduce yourself, Chris, plug anything you wanna plug um if you're hearing that crackling, that's my cat behind me right now, um making noise, so uh, take it away, Chris. <laughs> Yeah, hi. Um,
1: My name is Chris Bruner. I've got a blog called Bruner's Bar, where I talk about uh, movie reviews, book reviews, sports, basically anything that's on my mind. Um, Looking forward to uh, reviewing this one. I had not heard about this movie previously, and uh, when I saw the main character was Harry D'Amour, I was uh, really surprised because I loved uh, The Scarlet Gospel. So I had no idea that he was in more than one um book story.
0: I think this is actually yeah, I think the I think the story' is from the Book of Blood. I wanted to say volume six called The Last Illusion, and that's where you first introduced to Harry. No.
1: So. Yeah. I looked up the the list of, <laughs> of books. I was like, oh, I've got to read these now. So
0: Yeah. I've actually never read a Clive Barker book. The problem with me is that I don't have time to read books because I'm I'm still in school. So everything I read is textbooks. Yeah. or articles or you know so I never by the time I'm done with the end of the day after work and being a single parent and school reading these things I'm like I don't even want to read anything I just want to go to bed so usually I pop on a horror movie or something but one of these days I said I I want to start reading Cl- more Clive Barker more Stephen King I just want to be able to read so that's just me sorry <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, I, I mean, I remember college and all that, and yeah, the, the reading is required, so it's not nearly as fun. Um, I've only read a couple of Clive Barker. I haven't dug into the Books of Blood yet. I've read uh, The Hellbound Heart, uh, The Scarlet Gospels, and Cabal, which was the book that Nightbreed was based off of. Um, Love that book. So good. So, um, yeah, I went ahead and bought Books of Blood, Volume 6, so I could read The Last Illusion. So
0: yeah. Yeah, I'll like I said, I'll get there. Uh, sometimes, actually, Books of Blood might be the best one for me to start with, because I can read shorter stories, but if it's a whole chapter book. But anyways, I wanted to do this one because it is a lesser known Clive Barker movie, but I remember, I remember watching the trailers as a kid on TV and being like, I really want to see this movie. And then for whatever reason, I didn't watch it for the first time until literally, I think, this summer. And I was like, why did it take me so long to see this movie? Like, it's a really good movie. Yeah, like I really and I've always been a fan of Scott Bakula. My mom and I used to watch Quantum Leap together, so I had to see it for him as well. So I just I guess the first thing I want to dive into is what I Lily just mentioned is this movie really is about cults like and I'm trying to think and you're going to hear my papers wrestling. I apologize. I'm trying to think of like a lot of cults that might have come out before then that it could be kind of, I don't know, reflecting on. And I know, you know, people considered and I considered Charles Manson to be a cult with his followers. So he was before this. I know Jonestown and Heaven's Gate were founded before the nineties, but they didn't. What was it? I think Jonestown was 1997. I forgot. I just, I, I even wrote it all down and now I don't even know where my notes are, but I just know that these are a few of like the big cults that had happened that maybe they're kind of reflecting on.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I think the biggest thing for me when I'm watching this movie is and here's my oh, I found my notes is the whole idea that cults prey on the vulnerable, like they find people in a very vulnerable state and they promise them all these things. And they're very manipulating. And I think one of the biggest things for this movie is the this guy Nix is preying on people's fear of dying. Like he is finding people who are terrified of dying, these vulnerable people in a very vulnerable state and promising them basically a life after death and that death won't happen and that's where his followers come from and it's very sad to see because I am a personally I am a person who's absolutely terrified of dying like I have had many panic attacks for whatever reason in the middle of the night with thinking I'm not going to exist one day and I don't know how I'm going to handle that and that's probably the same thing these people are thinking they have the same thought process as me but the truth is it's part of life and we should be just I don't know, accepting it and embracing it and understanding that, you know, we don't know what happens, but it is the fear of the unknown. So I don't know if that's something you thought of or were looking into when you thought of, like, I don't know if you picked up on the cults. Uh, you know, I didn't
1: think to research cults. Um, you know, obviously the, the cult aspect is, I mean, prevalent from the get go. Um, you know, the, the only thing that, that part of the movie I didn't quite understand is that they did kidnap the the little girl and expected to kill her. I didn't realize if that, that was more of a sacrifice for power or if it was just inevitably a way to bring Swan back to the group because it seemed like Swan had sort of developed his own followers and the other three that then left the cult and came back to, to rescue her. Uh, the thing I really clicked on is when Nix is talking about how death is an illusion. So that really tied into the title you know lord of illusion because nyx is the lord of death basically yeah Uh, and i thought that was very clive barker um you know just sort of that that uh, play on words double entendre kind of deal um that uh that clive has done in, in most everything he's he's worked on that i've seen
0: yeah well they have a great i wrote down the quote right at the beginning it says there are two worlds of magic one is the glittering domain of the illusionist. The other is a secret place where magic is a terrifying reality. Here, men have the power of demons, and death itself is an illusion. That Boy, that must movie. be what I was
1: referring to. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like that, how it just opens up with that. So you can, you're trying to figure out, like, is this real? Is it not? Because that was the other thing I was trying to think of too was like, I know this movie is playing on that magic is real, but is it also could be symbolic of. The idea that is Nix really doing this, or is he so manipulating that he is a great illusionist that he makes these people believe in his power of real magic? Or is he putting acid in their, in their Kool Aid and making them drink it and making them hallucinate all these wonderful trickeries that he's doing? So, because a lot of that's, that's the whole thing about cults and the leaders of these cults is they're manipulating and they manipulate these people and they can do these things to make people believe these crazy ideas. And it's like, I don't know, it's just, it's creepy to me how people can just blindly follow someone.
1: Well, you know, it all comes down to that charisma, um, that confidence. Um, I am a uh, fraud and anti-money laundering investigator. um, And my job is to interview clients who really believe that the person that they've been talking to online is the love of their life, or they've really won some sort of lottery sweepstakes and it's going to change their lives if they just, you know, pay this and that. And, and it's, it's heartbreaking because you realize that as they're telling you their story, common sense is dictating this isn't how things work. I mean, you right. should know this. Um, But yet because of the charisma, the confidence of those, you know, scammers, uh, people just fall for it. And then they get hooked and and there's always something that helps keep them pulled in. You know, same thing with the cults, just on a much larger scale. You know, you've got one person who knows how to talk to people and get in their heads Uh, in this movie, sort of literally or metaphorically on several levels because we've got the magic aspect that makes Mm -hmm. them Uh, see things and whatnot so
0: and he literally can get into people's heads and again it's like i said he preys on these fears and the fear for these people is death they don't want to die so he's promising them all these things and yeah like i said he's they do have this it's almost like i should have said this i didn't think of this it's a lot of it's like narcissism it's narcissistic personality disorder these people are very good at making you believe them that they're the victim And then, you know, having you believe their story. So it's almost the same thing as these cult leaders. They're very, like I said, it's just, it's so, I don't know. It just, I'm stuttering on my words because I am so tired. Um, But that was the thing I was thinking about with cults. It's like, it's, it's really like, I think of other cults and I'm like, what were their fears that these people were preying on, you know? Cause I didn't do a lot of diving into the research for like Heaven's Gate or Jonestown. Like I didn't, I just wanted to see like the years they came out to see if maybe they were reflecting at all. Cause Clive Barker's good at that too. He's not afraid to take fears of society and things that are actually going on in the world and put it on the screen and say, this is what's happening. And that's another thing I like about his movies, even if they're not movies he directs. Um, Cause you got movies like Candyman that's based on, I forgot the story. That his is called is based on, but it's based on a Clive Barker story, Candyman. But they still were able to take those fears of society or things really happening and putting it on screen and saying, This is what's going on in the world. But that's one of the things that I personally like when I've seen Clive Barker movies is that he's not afraid. And I like that. Like he, in this one, is part of it is like cults, it's cults. Like there's these people out there that are manipulating these people, preying on their fears and finding vulnerable people to manipulate and twist and hurt them because in the end Nyx kills all his followers he even says like you're all lambs you know and i'm not a shepherd and he ends up killing them all anyways
1: like yeah he, he's something about you're unworthy um yeah and then the ground opens up and swallows them but then it seemed like they came back as minions i mean even if you go to max like the big picture is this mud person sort of coming out of the ground yeah so i i wasn't sure if that meant that the followers themselves needed to descend literally into the ground that he opened up and then come back as those minions you know because then they're not cheap but complete extensions of who nix is yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, we could probably speculate on that for hours just alone, because um, that's yeah. another thing that Clyde Barker's is really good at, you know, leaving it, putting it out there so that you can see what's going on. But at the same time, leaving it vague enough that you can draw your own conclusions.
0: Yeah. Make your own little interpretations. Leave it a little ambiguous. Yeah. Because like even at the end, yeah. I'm like, did Nix even really die? Because it looks like he died. But a part of it was like is you hear his voice at the very end. And I'm like, does that mean he never died to begin with? Because that makes me think about Swan, too. Did Swan really die? Because even he was the one who said, oh, I have it somewhere. It's the one that um, Dorothea, his wife, mentions, where he says, like, flesh is, what, just an illusion. Magic will set us free or something like that. So, like, did he even die? Like, is my question, too.
1: Yeah. Are they just a different form or are they just a, a living energy? Yeah. I mean, again all those different ways that you can spin out how the ending works. I mean, especially since at the beginning, Nick's had to be bound in order to be stopped. So he didn't really die, even though he had the giant hole in his chest. Um, But he, um, you know, he had to have that contraption, uh, which again, very Clive Barker, very iron, very um, magical with the screws tightening themselves. Once the blood touches it, Mm -hmm. um, you know, very reminiscent of sort of the Hellraiser aspect of things.
0: But I think, isn't that something that's in like witchcraft? I mean, I don't, I'm not saying his is witchcraft, but you associate magic with witchcraft at times Um, because they do the same thing and not with iron, but they do the same thing in the craft where the girl, Sarah, binds Nancy and she takes the picture and she wraps and says, I bind you, Nancy. I bind you from, you know, causing harm to yourself and others. So I'm, I'm wondering if it's something. What it is, it now my question is like, what is it with magic that's associated with binding someone, like to bind them from the magic? Because I remember that I remember that in in the craft was the binding scene, and then I, I see it in this one, which came out before the craft, but still they had to, like you said they had to bind him in order to bury him. Yeah. I mean, that's,
1: you're right. That That's a huge part of a lot of different magic. I mean, you know, you look at supernatural and you've got like the binding circles that if mm-hmm. the spirit, the demon crosses into it, they're stuck. It's like a, a prison for ghosts. Um, yeah. you've got, uh, you know, all the fae the and everything like that, that you could end up being bound to someone because of uh, saving a life or or something along those lines. And it's that magical bond that then links those two. So, yeah, I mean, the the part of magic with binding is in a lot of different aspects. And I think that is something that a lot of people could understand without questioning because you've had experience with it in other things like the craft and other yeah. books and stories. So,
0: yeah, I was just thinking that that just like really popped into my head. Um, the other thing I started thinking about too, as I was watching this is it's almost kind of biblical in a way, because I'm not, I come from a religious family. I don't believe in organized religion, but I believe in having faith in a higher power. It's very weird how I am. I'm not atheist in any way. I do believe that there's something up there. I just don't know who it is or what it is at the moment but to me it was still very biblical because this it's almost like false prophets these people blindly follow this man but when you watch it it's almost like nix is supposed to represent jesus because he's the one with the disciples and the followers and swan is almost his judas because he's the one who comes and you know is the one who binds him in the end you know he's the one who betrays him swan and he's the one swan's the one he always wanted swan's the one he had you know confidence in because he even said at the end swan's the only one who's worthy and this is the man who comes in betrays him with his own followers and then binds him and buries him so it's almost biblical. to me it's a little biblical in a sense that you know like you know you would think it'd be the roles would be switched because nix is evil and swan's a good guy but to me when i was watching it i saw nix more as like a representation of Jesus and Swan was the Judas. I don't know if that makes any sense.
1: <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. It's not something that I would have picked up on. I mean, you know, yes, you think of the cult, you think of the the leader of the cult, uh, much like uh, a church and, and whatnot. But now that you're, you're talking about it, I'm remembering the beginning of the movie and Nix is... In lighter colors, gray tones, tans, um, very worn clothes. And then when Swan comes in, in the vehicles, you know, coming mm-hmm. through the, uh, the desert, um, I think he's wearing a red shirt and a nicer red shirt. So there is your, I guess, false balance of good and evil at the beginning. You know, here's your Nyx, who is the, the leader of this group. Um, you know, here comes Swan, the villain. Now, obviously that does change throughout the movie. Um, But yeah, now that you mention it, that's not, that's not an aspect that I thought of, but I could easily see, you know, production and uh, uh, wardrobe and all that put that yeah. together on purpose as sort of a, a misleading aspect.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I just, I just, cause I even think about, this is so weird. I'm like this, but I even think about like, how did like, if, if you look at the Christian Bible, how did those people know Jesus was not a false prophet? Like, how do they know? Like, we don't know. Like, just like you don't know. Like, how do we know? Nix wasn't actually good and everyone else was evil. And maybe Nick's actually, ha- you know, like, that's where I think of false prophets. And that's why I I've looked at it so biblical. is like, how do you know? Because according to the Christianity, Jesus is supposed to come back. Well, how do you know it's him? There's been how many people since... God knows how long has claimed to be Jesus. How do we know they weren't? And it was just a test and we failed, you know, like, I don't know. I think that's why I started thinking of the biblical aspect because I was raised in a religious family, but, and I always questioned, always questioned things. I'm like, well, how did they know Jesus was the son of God? It could have just been some crazy person, you know, (laughs) like, and they blindly followed him and you wrote an entire book about him. Like. How do we know Nick's really was crazy? Maybe he was, you know, that's where my brain started going with the biblical aspect because I'm always one filled with questions. I believe in faith, but I still have questions. And my mom was kind of the one who always said like, eh, you're allowed to question. She's like, that's part of it. She's like, I'm not going to be the one to tell you never question. She's like, I'm going to have, she's like, when I die, she's like, I'm going to have a, like a whole list of questions I'm going to ask God and he better answer them for me. And that was my mom. And I even said when she died, I was like, "I I can picture her up there being like, all right, you're going to answer my questions now because these are a list of questions and you better answer them because you're the one with the answers. And I I can picture my mom being that person because that's who my mom was. <laughs> she was very much like that.
1: Just yeah, that. I, I mean, my wife came from a very religious family. I, not so much. So, you know, I, I can definitely see what you mean by that. Of course, there was always the Sunday schools and confirmation and, and all that. I, I think I've pulled away from, sort of organized religion as I've gotten older as well. Um, You know, again, I don't need a middleman necessarily to talk to God. Um, But, you know, there's always, especially in horror movies, there's always that sort of line of good and evil, heaven and hell. So, I mean, you can always draw some sort of religious connection through horror. And yet a lot of times it's the religious groups that are so against horror. So, you know, it's, it's unusual how things play out.
0: Yeah, I actually wrote that down. There's a lot of good versus evil in this movie, and like light and dark, heaven and hell, um, and all that. Because I really, because I picked it up at first when I saw Dorothea. Because when you first see Dorothea, not when she's a kid, but when she's an adult, she's wearing a black bathing suit, jet black. The second, the next time you see her when she's in the cemetery, I think it's a cemetery with Harry. She's wearing all white. And for a while, she banters between wearing black and white for a while. And then it turns into the pink dress during the funeral. And then at the very end, she's in like a burgundy dress. But that's where I first saw it was like, well, is she good or is she evil? Because black is associated with evil. White is purity and good. But And she's wearing literally just black or white for quite a while. Mm. That's where I first picked up the good and evil. Because I'm like, well, where does she fall in into this? And then... There's the actual character of Harry who I absolutely love because when you first meet him, he's very, you know, I, I remember reading a couple of things, uh, not articles, but um, like reviews about the movie. And they said that they were trying to make this a little bit kind of like horror noir, like the movies of like the, what did they say? Like the twenties, not the twenties and thirties, like thirties and forties, you know, you mm-hmm. got Harry, the detective with the, you know, dark past and he's, and all this, but that's what I liked about Harry is you immediately find out about his dark past. He's um, had that association with that exorcism with the little boy. And he even says, like, the guy says to him, and he's like, well, was he really possessed? And he was like, he could have been. Like, I don't know. He's like, he just follows the story or follows, does his job, and he just wants to find the truth, whatever it is. So he doesn't necessarily believe in the supernatural, the paranormal, but he's going to find the truth no matter what. And he's going to believe what he sees. So for him, he probably witnessed this exorcism because we see flashbacks. He believed it was real because that's the truth he was finding. And then that's why he pursues this with the magic. He's not going to stop until he finds the truth. And the truth is magic is real. But it's not about him believing in the supernatural. It's about him just finding the truth. And I like that he's a good guy with a dark past. And that even Quaid says, like, you walk the line when he's dying, like you walk, I think it's Quaid, you walk the line between heaven and hell, you, you're drawn to the darkness, but you're a good person. I don't know.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. Um, I wish that that was that dark past was explored a little more in the movie. And I think mostly because knowing where the character is at in the Scarlet Gospels where he is still the private detective, but he's embraced the supernatural aspect. He's accepted the fact that he's sensitive to this and he knows more about magic. So, you know, whatever happens, and I think there's like four or five stories that he's in up to that point, um, you know, it led him there. So when they're talking about the the exorcism with the boy and there's that great scene with the boy and the demon behind him, I wish that there would have been more to the movie in that aspect you know why does he tend towards the dark path you know why is he always drawn to uh, the the paranormal the supernatural because you know even in this the job is to find a guy who's committing insurance fraud and then he just kind of falls ass backwards into this world of magic and yeah so
0: and he doesn't even complete his job he just moves into his new job yeah Okay, oh, I'm sorry, I found the quote I was trying to find. It's when Quaid's done, he says, Oh God, you're drawn to the dark side over and over. You don't like that. And Harry says, not much. And he goes, you can't change it. You must walk the line between heaven and hell. It is your destiny. Accept it. I just like that. I just like that scene because it's, it's telling you a lot about Harry without giving away too much about Harry. So you know he has a dark past. You know that there's something like... Like you said, I would, I kind of, yeah, I kind of agree. I wish we could have explored that. I do know that there was, again, reading reviews, there was a little bit of studio interference in this movie and that the theatrical cut was not what Clive Barker wanted, but there is a director's cut out there, which um, is more of what he envisioned. So, um, which I think had like 13 more minutes added to it, the director's cut, but I'm pretty sure that's the one I watched because that was on um, HBO Max and they're usually... They're pretty good about putting director cuts over the theatrical cuts in that um, streaming service, which is what I like. But I do know that I read about that. Um, so I'm wondering if maybe originally Clive wanted to explore that. Because that seems like something Clive Barker would have wanted to do was explore a little more about Harry's past. Because you he also, you know, you care about Harry. Like, that's the one thing I like about Harry is you care about him. Like, I cared about him from the moment I saw him. Like, it just I just, the way he, like, stood up so sad so defeated and you don't even know why he's feeling defeated but you know he's defeated from the moment he sits up and it's like what early in the morning and the first thing he grabs is the beer like you know that's a defeated man to me or a defeated person in general you know and now i'm going well why what what happened and then you get a little bit where the guy's like here's a job for you you know and then there's the exorcism did you believe it and you're tossing back and forth and then he's in the newspaper and then he takes the job in la and he's even hesitant about it like fine, you know, I'll do it, you know, free vacation. But I immediately want to know more about Harry in mm. this movie. You know, some of the other characters I'm like, yeah, all right. I, I was not really interested in some of them. I did not really care. I know Swan was supposed to be the nice guy, but I actually was not a fan of his character. <laughs>
1: you know, I also, of course, I didn't see this one when it came out. And my first introduction to, I think her name is Fanka Jansen. Um, was GoldenEye, the Bond movie, which was the exact same year. So I looked it up. They were both 1995. So I missed Clive Barker when Ian Fleming instead. Um, But Swan, the first time I saw him was as the little Weasley character, Benny, in the Brendan Fraser Mummy movies.
0: Oh, that's right. He was.
1: Yes. Yes, So the whole time, all I could see was that tiny little Weasley mustache and the fez. (laughs) So yeah, that kind of, I guess, put me off his character. But at the same time, I was like, oh, yeah, I know you. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I did. I completely forgot. He is Benny. Oh, my gosh. He's also in Ghost Ship.
1: Oh, my gosh. I haven't seen that in so long. What what was he in Ghost Ship?
0: He was, I forgot that his character's name, but he ends up like in the end, he washes up on shore, like holding onto a bag of luggage when they end up on the um, island at the very end, which uh, I always say her name wrong. Femi K. Jensen was in that movie as well. Oh, With Treat okay. Williams. I actually uh, just talked to a friend of mine about covering it for November because I'm going to do nature horror, you know, anything, or, you know, nature slash eco horror. And I really want to do, um, was it Deep Rising because of Treat Williams because he was oh, yeah. passing. And he, he actually lived in Vermont. He didn't, li- I think he lived only like 45 minutes north of me. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So um, I asked a friend, I was like, you know what, since it's eco horror, nature horror, and this is about, you know, nature gone wrong. I'm like, let's cover deep rising and i just no sorry i said ghost ship i'm gonna say deep rising i can't believe i just said that ghost ship
1: <laughs> oh gotcha. Deep rising
0: i'm sorry i'm thinking ghost ship because it was a ship anyways i do love ghost ship sorry i just messed up on that but yeah i meant deep rising which retreat williams okay. and miki jason and uh kevin J o'connor was in that one he played and like i said at the very end he's like on a l- uh, luggage and then he's like floating out onto the beach and he's like i'm you know he says something funny anyways but I can't believe it's said ghost ship. I'm going to have to cover ghost ship because I love ghost ship too. That opening is amazing. As oh yeah. Topic.
1: One of the best. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it, it didn't get a lot of great reviews, but again, that's one of those that you, you can't care about the reviews. Just go watch the movie. I, 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 I still so don't long. care
0: about the reviews. I love that ending when she's in the ambulance and she looks up and she sees the guy the devil demon guy. And then she sees all of her friends following him and she's like, Oh no. And I'm like, Oh shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> I loved the movie where anyway. but we can go back. But Harry is the whole point was that I cared about Harry Swan. Not so much. I, you know, like I, I don't know. And even Dorothea, I was kind of not really a fan of like, she didn't really have a, a lot of depth to her. She was just the pretty trophy wife who married Swan and even said she didn't marry him for love, but the man loved her, you know, like, I don't know. there was just something I just, something about Harry's, what drew me to the movie was him and his story. And that's the guy I cared about. And I wanted to follow him.
1: I don't know. I I agree. (laughs) And Barker usually has at least that one character that you attach to, like, you know, Christy in Hellraiser, um, yeah. oh gosh, uh, who ends up becoming Cabal in Nightbreed, you know, you, you get invested in those characters. I think in this movie, it had the benefit of Scott Bakula because yeah. anything that you ever watch him in, you know, you're immediately drawn to that character. Um, you know, with with Dorothea, I never trusted her from the beginning, Mm -hmm. you know, especially when she says I didn't marry for love. And of course, you know, stereotypically your mind goes to, Oh, well now he's this rich illusionist. So it Mm -hmm. was all for money. We find out later that it was that she was the young girl girl at the beginning. Mm -hmm. So I guess she probably had that sort of bound aspect, you know, he saved her life. Everything she has is because he saved her. Um, But for, for a long, long time, I kept wondering, especially since it seemed in that initial, you know, I never married him for love that there was that long past. I kept wondering if she was part of the cult and then thinking, well, maybe she's secretly trying to bring Nyx back, you know, so she's using Swan and his magic to find a way to reignite what there was. And of course we find out that's not really the case, but again, it was that character I never trusted at the beginning.
0: So. Yeah, maybe that's what it was. I just couldn't trust her because I just there was something about her. I was just like, and even at the end, I was like, all right, she survived. Cool. But as Harry's like, I'm like, don't kill Harry. <laughs> like, You can't. I love him too much. He's a great character. I'm I'm OK. Like with Dorothy, you can get. Yeah, get, get rid of Swan and Dorothy. But yeah, maybe that's why I didn't trust her. Cause She was it was very. I mean, the second time I watched it, I I already knew. But the first time I watched it, I was yeah, I was trying to figure out her. I'm like, well, who is she? Why wouldn't you marry him for money? I mean, why would Why wouldn't you marry him for money? Duh. <laughs> um, you know, you married him for mo- money, or in this case, yeah, like you said, she felt almost ob. I think it's like obligation. Like he saved my life, so therefore I have to marry him. But then I'm thinking, like, wasn't she like twelve when he met her? At least it's like so like how long did you and it's only like thirteen years later that this movie happened. So like how long did you wait, Swan?
1: <laughs> yeah, and maybe Swan's character was younger, but of course the actor doesn't necessarily portray that sometimes. You know, right. back then the makeup and special effects and and or CGI was not as good as now where you can turn Harrison Ford back into a thirty year old, but right. <laughs> um, you know, I I think that might have if we, if I would have read the story, maybe there would have been more of a age explanation. Uh, who knows?
0: But. Right. I Yeah, that was just my thing. I'm like, well, she was... I guess that's like kind of where my brain went the first time I watched it. I'm like, she was 12, Swan. Like, how old were you? You didn't look 12. You didn't look 13. You didn't even look like you were 18. <laughs> <Like, laughs> so, like, how long did you wait until you decided to marry this girl? And how long did you have her with you for her to feel obligated to marry you like I don't know I just start and now that I'm thinking about it it's very creepy yeah it's pretty creepy could but, have been some sort of
1: Stockholm syndrome almost but yeah from so instead of the the kidnapper falling for the kidnapper falling for the hero I mean there's a lot of people have said and of course movies have used it and whatnot you may have even talked about it in psychology that in those intense emotional situations, it can form bonds between people because of shared experiences.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I'm just wondering, I don't know. I'm just wondering when, I don't know, like what happened for him to like marry her or, and for her to feel obligated to marry him. Cause like she said, she always said from, she said straight from the beginning, it was never about love with her and him, but it was for him. And that's what makes me kind of sad is like, I don't know. And and you see it in real life. And that's the hard thing is you see it in real life. People marry people for money all the time. Damn. And they, and the other person could, you know, the other person might not care. Maybe they just want a trophy wife. I don't know. But it makes me sad when some, wh- one person is in it for love and the other's in it for money. It just makes me, it just makes my heart break because love isn't something you can control. You can't look at someone and be like, all right, I love them. It's, a, it's an emotion. It's something uncontrollable. You can't control it. And then to find out someone doesn't love you back. Well, that just shatters your heart. Yeah. Because I've been there more than once. Like it just shatters you and just makes you like, and then you start thinking, well, what is it about me that I'm not worthy enough of your love? So like does swan ever feel that way. Like you have all this money and all these people who love you, but like you're going home to someone who. Flat out said, like, I don't love you. And this isn't about love. Like, how does that make someone feel? Like.
1: I think she did mention at one point that they have separate lives.
0: Mm -hmm. I think she does. Yeah.
1: I think that was in the, when she meets Harry the first time. And, and I don't know. you, You wonder if it's a relationship of convenience at that point, you know, is he on the same page? Right. Yeah. I don't know. Again, another one of those vague fill-in-the-blanks moments
0: yeah you have to figure it out on your own the other thing i was going to talk about um was um fire symbolism because this movie uses a lot of fire you know like NYX manipulates fire swan can manipulate fire so i'm like well what is it about fire so of course i looked that up and that was one thing i was like reading a bunch of stuff on and i found that it's like it's elemental so it equals energy when it's talking about elements but the part i found really interesting is it's another play on good and evil light and dark. Cause it, it creates yet it destroys it's creation yet destruction. Ooh, it gives okay. light and warmth yet it can destroy things. So as much as you can build a fire and it can keep you warm and give you light, that fire gets out of hand. It can burn things down and destroy it, everything in its path. So I think it's just a great example of good and evil is using the fire symbolism and so when i looked that up i was like oh that makes sense was that intentional or was it just convenient but like it is a play on good and evil which is a lot of i think in this movie is good and evil and playing on a balance of like i said harry's a great example of a man with a dark past but he's a good person Mm -hmm. He's you know he's not evil he just has a dark past but he's a good guy and then there's fire like i said it can create yet destroy give you warmth yet you know it's destructive because, like I said, we use it all the time, you know, when you go camping. But if you don't take care of your campfire, it can destroy the entire forest. I don't right. It's just something I was interested in.
1: <laughs> well, and the fire itself in this movie at times is even a creature on its own.
0: You know, because yeah.
1: when the fire's chasing Harry, if you look closely, and again CGI of the mid '90s, um, it almost looks like there are two cobra snake heads in the fire.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And
1: then when the one person is destroyed, and I can't remember, I, I want to say it was just a background character, but you know, it the fire leaps from the ground into his face and then just envelops him.
0: So oh, I think, was it Butterfield? Was it? I think so. Was it towards the end? I think it was Butterfield. Yeah. It might have been Butterfield. yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. You're right. You're right. You're right. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, so even though both nicks and swan are controlling this elemental energy it also seems to have its own sort of life force on it you know built in
0: and i think and people have said that about fire in general in life when they i've you know i had a friend whose house burned down and they're like it's like they say it's like the fire had a mind of its own it just consumed my house Mm. you know and you hear that about you know forest fires or any kind of fire that happens that gets out of hand is a lot of people say it almost had a mind of its own so that would make sense that the movie might play on that that you know the fire you know is good and evil but it's also its own yeah almost like its own character (laughs) has a mind of its own and it's going to do what it in the end it's going to do what it wants right you know Because fire has no direction, really, unless you, you know, spray a thing of gas. But even then, it can still get out of hand. So I I heard my daughter yell my name, too, (laughs) in the background. So, but that was, yeah, that was just something else I picked up on was, like, fire symbolism. Because I like to look at colors. I forgot to look up red because I noticed a lot of scenes would be washed in red. And red's always, like, passion, yet you know death and blood so i'm i'm wondering if they used a lot of washing out in reds because it's another one that you know it's it's love and passion yet it also represents anger Mm -hmm. you know so i'm wondering if that's why they used washing out in red in many scenes because you know that's another one that could be used as good and evil it has a lot of different interpretations of it so
1: i'm glad you mentioned that because one of the things that i really loved about this movie was the visuals yeah um you know, it, it made me wonder, knowing that Clive Barker is such an incredible artist, mm-hmm. when they go through the building and there's like the graffiti and everything all over the place, I mean, did Clive do all of that? And if yeah. he did, I mean, that's a huge undertaking. And then we find the the pages of the book, uh, the files that they take from the, the magic uh, castle um, and all the drawings. I mean, absolutely had to have been done by Clive Barker. Uh, and then you've got the the whole magic show with Mm -hmm. the the demon and the well for lack of a better way to explain it orgy on stage with the characters as he's coming in you know this was you could absolutely tell that Clyde Barker was the director because it was something that you could see pulled straight from his mind
0: yeah well he yeah he's good at that like I said he's very and wasn't it rawhead Rex that was done where he said, I'm going to direct my next movie <laughs> that's based on my work. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, yeah, I didn't know that. I think so. I'm pretty sure what I read was that the reason why he directed Hellraiser was because he was so disappointed in how Rawhead Rex ca- turned out, which was completely, I guess, completely deviated from the source material. That He said if he ever, if someone was going to do his work, he was going to direct it himself. And so he directed Hellraiser, and he said he had never directed it in his life, never. So he picked up books about it and like read into it, and you know, because I'm like, when I first saw Hellraiser, I'm like, that doesn't look like a first time director to me who doesn't know what they're doing. Like right. it's visually stunning, and this movie's visually stunning too. Like I love the scene of the the swords hanging from the ceiling, of the the illusion, the you know, the rigged illusion where Swan doesn't die but you think he dies. Um, that whole thing is visually stunning to me just watching it circ, you know rotate and he's on the bottom and even just the way they shoot like each one dropping Mm
1: -hmm. there's just
0: something about it that's just you know and i remember when i watched the trailer that's what made me want to see the movie was that because they show part of that the rotating swords and i was like that's i want to see what that's about and of course i never saw it till the summer but it's visually stunning And i think uh, any movie that i said and i've only seen them he actually hasn't directed a lot of movies, but the ones he does is just, like I said, they're just visually stunning. I mean, I'm going to cover Nightbreed this month, too, because that movie is just beautiful. Like, I love every single creature in that movie. Like, I can't wait to dive deep into that one because that's a good one, too. So, but this movie, I don't know. Like, I just I feel like that's the only thing I could say is it's visually stunning. Like everything yeah. about it. And like there's, everything has a purpose. Like nothing's just there for the sake of being there. Like to me, it's not about shock value. Um, even though I like movies that do shock value, I'm into that too. But with Clive, it's not about shock value. It's about everything has a purpose to it. Like even if it is shocking and gruesome and has some body horror elements to it, there's a reason for it. It's not just there to, for the sake of gore, I guess.
1: Yeah. And this one's not really that gory. I mean, not until the yes, end. Really? Yeah. yeah. Not till the end. I mean, yeah, you've got the the first kill with all the like scalpels and stuff as as he's dying. But then you've got the fire. And yeah, I mean, it's not it's not Hellraiser. And even Nightbreed wasn't all that gory either. Mm. Um, And and the first time I saw that was uh, on the last drive in. uh, And then I got the book. And I read the book on my Kindle and it was just even better. Um, so, of course, you know, I bought it as soon as I could uh, on iTunes because they had the director's cut. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've watched it quite a few times since then. But um, where was I going with that? <laughs> nope, that train derailed. Um, That's yeah, right, I do it yeah, all the time. Right. <laughs> I, I, I love the detail that's in the scenery as well i mean as i mentioned all the sort of graffiti on Mm -hmm. the walls of like the the cult building Um, but even in the magic castle the the locked office the locked room the fact that there were rooms that one of them was the button that opens the secret compartment and yet that secret compartment had the blades that came out you know just each little piece of detail um is just amazing
0: yeah i love how the guys like he's like look for something hokey <laughs> and he's <laughs> like it'll be booby-trapped he's like booby-trapped and he's like yeah just look for something hokey and then when he sees like the um projection he's like see hokey <laughs> like i do like that scene. oh yeah
1: the projection i mean
0: yep. y- you look at that
1: and you think okay that can't be something clive barker did because you are absolutely right it looks hokey it looks like it's something that you know pete bankman was going to take down with the ghostbusters right (laughs) you know so but yeah that that was a that was a fun little scene
0: yeah and i like the humor like clive barker does throw some humor in there he does make you laugh at times like i did like that scene just because it was all but then it like scares you at the same time because you're like that was hokey and then like you said he, he goes to reach in for the files and those blades come and he has to stop them and he tells the guy, I think his name is Billy. He's like, go get the files. He's like, I'm not reaching in there. He's like, get the files. Like, I'm holding this thing, you know? So there were some scary scenes. Yeah, and again, yeah, the CGI definitely was, like, that whole scene where Nick shows up at Dorothea's house after Harry and her sleep t- sleep together. I'm just like, that was, oh, the 90s. I love you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Like, it's terrible CGI, but it's fun CGI, in my opinion. I'm like, ah, it's like Lawnmower Man. <laughs>
1: What it reminded oh, me of God. that
0: scene it was like, long yeah. long and all that, how it was like that in that movie, too. But yeah, but yeah, I don't, I actually just think I covered everything I want to talk about because <laughs> <laughs> I wrote a bunch of stuff out, too. But I'm like, I always want you guys as a guest to talk about whatever you want as well and see what you can pull from my brain because sometimes I'm just like, I didn't even think of that. That's amazing. So, I mean,
1: you definitely took the reins on the deeper dive this round. I I know there were so many different ways that we both looked at the people under the stairs, which was fun. But, you know, with this movie, I love you're right. I I can totally see that they were going for film noir style Mm -hmm. with Harry because you've got his office that looks like something out of the Maltese Falcon or Casablanca, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, he's wearing a tank top with his gun holster. Exactly. Who wears a gun underneath your shirt over a tank top? Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I love that aspect. One of the things that I found really kind of cool that was outside of the movie actually was because of the movie, there were comic books that were done to sort of follow Harry's story Oh. And originally, they drew Scott Bakula as Harry DeMore. But then in 2007, they changed him in the comic books to Thomas Jane, um, you know, the actor from uh, The Punisher. Yeah. So it almost felt to me that there was a possibility of another movie with Harry Moore, and right. maybe Thomas Jane would have been on board and the, the comic book sort of took that either after the fact if the project fell through or, or what um, but it was I found that was interesting that a character you know completely out of the mind of Clive Barker the comic books held to actors you know like real people that you could you, you knew and you stuck with um, I was reading part of that as I was going through um, you know, how many stories was Harry D. Moore in and, and
0: all yeah. that? That's, yeah, that's on I actually watched um, a documentary now. I forgot what it was on, probably on Tubi. It was about Lovecraft, but mostly about Herbert West, Reanimator. And they did the same thing with Reanimator. Um, after Jeffrey Combs played him, any comic book or any other characterization of him was dark hair, the glasses, the white shirt with the black tie, when originally he was like blonde hair, blue eyes in the book.
1: You know, I actually haven't read that story, so that's. Interesting. I don't.
0: I've actually never read it either. Again, I don't have time to read books. <laughs> I just read. I just read about these things, and that was one of the things they said was that Jeffrey Combs was completely does not have any of the look of what he was supposed to look like, which was like six foot, blonde hair, blue eyed. You know, something that Alexander Skarsgard would play. You know, oh, I, I wouldn't mind that either. Yes, yeah. he's a very handsome man. Um. So. <laughs> But more like that was what they were was he was described, as apparently in the book. And then Jeffrey Combs comes in who's like what five foot eight, you know, black hair, brown eyes, like, you know, completely not but that's now who everyone associates Herbert West with is that look. And even in the comic books, they had done the same thing. It was that look. They didn't mm-hmm. draw Jeffrey Combs, but they drew that look. And, and only a few comic books or other examples of it were the blonde hair guy. But it's always been jeffrey combs look so i can see that with scott bacula i mean he's probably too old now to play harry demore but they could do a movie with him and he's an old disgruntled you know curmudgeon harry (laughs) demore
1: well yeah um i remember on the last drive-in when they had um oh my god i cannot believe i have forgotten his name um hellraiser pinhead oh doug Uh, bradley Yeah, Doug Bradley, he had said that even he would come back for one more movie if they would do the Scarlet Gospels. Mm -hmm. And I think at this stage right now, both of them at the ages they're at, him and Scott Bakula, because Harry Damore is in that, that would be amazing. Um, Yeah, because it is kind of an ending to Clive Barker's story um, and potentially I think well, I won't give anything away um for anybody who wants to read the Scarlet Gospels, but it is sort of an ending for Harry Moore's story, but also the beginning of potentially a new one, if it wanted to continue.
0: Right. Um
1: so yeah, I think that would be an amazing movie if if anything was to be made to put those two together, you know, in that universe. Uh, because it even, it, everything that I had read, you know, Wikipedia and Screen Rant and all that, Harry Moore lives in the realm of the Cenobites. So oh.
0: now I'm going to have to go look those up now. I'm, one of these days I'll start reading. <laughs>
1: <laughs> See, <laughs> I do a lot of textbooks. Audible. Yeah, I do Audible so that I can listen to it while I'm doing something else. Um, gotcha. Or if I'm in the car on long trips, you know, I can just do that. That's how I get through most of my books, to be honest with you. Um, I don't have a lot of time to just sit down yeah. with my books kindle or, or a book much these days so. yeah
0: i just like the smell of books i'm weird like that i love the smell of a, of a book
1: <laughs> oh 100 uh my wife and i are we go on dates where we just go to barnes and noble and then we go get a coffee and we just wander you know for yeah. about an hour and we always leave with books but it's just that the sound of yeah. the hardback opening the first yep. time the smell of the pages yep. yeah
0: i like your little darcy and uh, joe bob in the background oh yeah <laughs> i just saw it <laughs>
1: yeah i move in the camera shifts so yeah
0: no it's fine i just saw. It. i was like oh hey my daughter and i have that Hamer has darcy i get joe bob really? so but um yeah i mean if is there anything else you want to like i said i covered everything i wanted to talk about because no yeah.
1: that was that was all that i really wanted to get into you like I, said, I really wanted to talk about the, the visuals of the yes. film um Yeah, this was a first watch for me. Uh, I've watched it twice because I always do it once for me and then once for my notes and deeper dives. Um, So yeah, I love this. I really appreciated you letting me, you know, hang out with you and and talk about it. I may not have watched it right now (laughs) um, unless we were doing this. So again, thank you. Appreciate that.
0: Like I said, I think it's definitely an underrated Clive Barker movie that more people, because I think you touched on a good point. Like people are expecting probably more, gore or more body horror because even though Nightbreed doesn't have a lot of gore it's still like there's a lot of i would consider it body horror because of all the um different creatures of midian have you know they're very elaborate and you know they're scary even though they're not scary they're you know i'll get into that later but i'm just saying i think that's why some people maybe didn't want to see this movie because it doesn't present itself as A typical you know clive barker but if you actually watch it it is a clive barker you'll pick up the elements that he has in all of his movies and i think if you haven't seen it you definitely should because it is a good movie so that's what i'm gonna tell everyone if you haven't seen lord of illusions you really should it's underrated but it is definitely clive barker and it's everything he does in all of his movies it just might be a little more subtle in this movie and you might have to pay attention a little more absolutely (laughs) not really in your face so okay Suki, did you want to say anything before we go no okay cool <laughs> usually she she'll talk like she will if you say anything you'll be like Suki, hey i
1: know? think she's more of a night animal you know since she's the the facebook movie group that, oh yeah. Since, yeah yeah she's
0: the ffb uh mascot yes yeah, she is she's up there and she knows the world revolves around her right Suki? Never mind. All right. Anyways, I'm gonna wrap it up for today. <laughs> thank you again for joining me here on Sinful Sarah's Horror Menagerie. Again, I'm your host Sarah Sin. Thank you for sticking around as I discuss horror history, psychology, and mental health within horror movies. Again, Chris, thank you for coming on the show. You are always welcome to come on the show. Great. So. I had a lot of fun. Thank oh, you so good. much. Me too. I uh, hope you enjoyed the show. Again, thank you for listening. And I just want to remind everybody that there's a horror movie out there for everyone to enjoy. So thank you.